thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning, church family. Good to see you today. If you're new with us, my name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm just back from our middle school retreat where I had the privilege of teaching our kids. If you want to do something that makes you feel fully alive and half dead at the same time, go on middle school retreat. It has a strange way of making you younger and almost killing you at the same time. I don't know how that works, but it, but it does. But what an, an incredible group of young men and women we had at that retreat. They are the future of our church. I think our future is in good hands. And a special shout out, a special thank you to all of our staff and all of our volunteers and all of our members who serve so faithfully, whether it was that retreat, the fourth, fifth weekend we had here, more generally throughout our children and student ministry, you are investing in the next generation of God's people. Your labor is not in vain. It doesn't get better than this. Now we're turning our attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I invite you to, to turn there with me. Continuing in our series, a surprisingly happy sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17 of chapter 8. But before we do that, let's bow our heads together and pray. God, you are um, even now in control of all things and in control of our own lives as well. And I pray, Lord, that as we spend some time in your word, we would uh, both taste something of your greatness, something of your majesty, something of um, how glorious you are, and, Lord, something of, of your grace, of how much you love us, of how much you care for us, of how tender and compassionate you are. Be with us and be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think it's, it's fair to say that we live in a world with all sorts of information and yet very little wisdom. We have all kinds of information and yet not all that much wisdom. So information, I read this week that the internet now contains 120 zettabytes of data. I'm sure that means a lot to you. It didn't mean anything to me, so I had to do some research. Apparently, if you downloaded 120 zettabytes onto DVDs, the stack of DVDs would be so long that it would stretch around the world over 152 times. That's how much data is on the internet. Or if you try to download 120 zettabytes of information at today's download speed, uh, it would take you 1.2, wait for it, billion years to download everything that's on the internet. So safe to say there's more information out there than you and I are ever going to get to. And yet, for all this information, how much of it gives us wisdom? I suppose we could start by thinking how, of how much of it is just outright harmful. 
I read one study from the University of Michigan this week that said that about 12% of the world's websites are devoted to pornography. 12% of the DVDs that would stretch 152 times around the earth, 12% of the data that it would take 1.2 billion years to download, 12% of that is devoted to abusing the image of God in men and women. And even if we were to put to side like all that's just so harmful, how much of the information out there is just frankly kind of useless? I think of, you know, do we need another cat meme? Do we? Is that, is that what your soul needs? You know, maybe. I don't want to be a hater. Um, or do we need yet another, this week, uh, yet another pronouncement from a teenage pop star about the latest geopolitical issue, and I'm just not sure I care about her opinion, right? I'm not sure she has expertise in, in that in that area. It seems like there's a lot of information, but there isn't a lot of wisdom. How much of the information we have is actually helpful for our lives? Well, amidst all of that noise, as Christians, God has given us the Bible. The Bible, a book that does contain a fair bit of information, but a book that is also loaded with wisdom. A book that we can go to to find hope to find healing, to find help, not just for today, but for eternity. It contains everything we need for this life and the life to come. So friends, let's give our attention to it. Let's give our affection to it as we come to Ecclesiastes chapter eight, seeking to find some help, some hope that lasts. Well, if you look down at your Bible, if you have an ESV, which is the Bible translation we have in our pews, you'll see that the editors have given the section that we read a, a title. And the title is, Man Cannot Understand God's Ways. Humanity, men and women, people like you and I cannot understand God's ways. Now, we know, of course, that the titles are not part of the original Bible, but this one is very helpful because it accurately summarizes the main point of the text, the main point of our passage. People like you and I can't always understand God's ways. The preacher, that's the person whose voice we hear in Ecclesiastes, is looking out at the world and he's saying, do you know what, see, see when I consider the world, there, there are some things that just don't make sense. There are some things that don't make sense. And you know, personally, I'm very grateful that the Bible gives us permission to say that. I'm, I'm grateful that the Bible would allow us to say, Do you know, I know that God's in control, but sometimes things don't make, things don't make sense. Uh, it's a helpful perspective. It's a helpful counterpoint. It's a helpful addition that we get here in Ecclesiastes to the kind of wisdom that we get in a book like the book of Proverbs. Remember we've said that Ecclesiastes is part of the Bible's wisdom literature? Well, if you read the book of Proverbs, though, what you general sense you get is this, that um, generally if you live a wise life, things are going to work out well. So if you love your spouse, um, your marriage will go well. If you're diligent at work, you're likely to have success. If you save and invest, you'll, you'll have enough for retirement. Live a wise life, and generally, Proverbs says, things will work out well. But then here comes Ecclesiastes, not with cynicism, but with a little bit of realism to say, well, do you know what? Things don't always work out like that. Sometimes you love your spouse, and you've experienced your marriage can still fall apart. Sometimes you're diligent at work, 
and yet you still lose your job. Sometimes you save and invest and then there's, there's a crash. Things don't always work out. And isn't that a helpful perspective? Don't we need both of those perspectives? Yes, live a wise life and generally things work out. But also know that it's not a formula. It's not a guarantee. Sometimes in life, things don't make sense. Well, in verse 14, the preacher gives us an example. He's saying we can't understand God's ways. Sometimes things don't make sense. And here's an example. An example of that is this. There's a vanity that takes place on earth. Here's something that's hevel. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. The preacher looks out in the world and says, it doesn't make sense to me that sometimes bad things happen to good people. How is it that innocents can be killed in Israel and Palestine? How is it that a hardworking person could lose their home? This doesn't make sense. More than that, look, there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. He looks out in the world and says, it doesn't make sense to me that sometimes good things happen to bad people. So how is it that your classmate who cheats got an A on the test? How is it that your colleague who stabbed you in the back got the promotion? How is it that these things would happen? And so he concludes, I said, that this also is vanity. Here are things that don't make sense. And to underline how much they don't make sense, look what he says in verse 17. Then I saw the work of God that man cannot find out the work that's done under the sun. However much a man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Do your best to understand. Be as wise as you can. But in the end, there'll always be some things that baffle you. There will always be some things in your life that just don't make sense. And isn't that a hard truth? Isn't that a hard truth when we pull it kind of out of the clouds down into the concrete of our lives? Because most of us have experienced this. Most of us know what it's like to have some great unknowns, some things that don't make sense. And, and you know, most of the time, those things are pretty painful. So like, why, why did your parents get divorced and why has that impacted you so much? Why is your own marriage falling apart even now? Great unknowns. Why did you have that miscarriage? Why, why have your adult children wandered away from the Lord? These are great unknowns. Why has your loved one just received a cancer diagnosis? Why are you struggling with a diagnosis of your own? Why does a friend struggle with addiction? Why are you having such a hard time with your own mental health? On and on and on go these great unknowns. It could be one of those, it could be something else, but sooner or later, most of us find ourselves saying, you know what? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Well, what do we do with this? What would the Bible have us do with this? I think the answer from our text is something that's hard at first, but turns out to be very freeing. Something that's hard at first, but turns out to be very freeing. Look at it with me in verse 17. Did you catch the ray of hope in our, in our text? Sometimes things don't make sense, but even these things that don't make sense are what, according to verse 17, the work of God. 
there are things in our lives that we don't understand. And yet God is always in control. And somehow, some way, we trust that he'll work them all out in the end. This is why the Bible's heading is so helpful here. Man cannot understand God's ways. We might not understand, but in the end it is God's ways that baffle us. And this is why we read Romans 11 a moment ago. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. Sometimes we can't understand God's ways. Sometimes things don't make sense. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And yet the passage ends, from him and through him and to him are all things. So to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators, I quote him all the time, says this about this text. He says, you know life Life is not a tale told by an idiot. I know you can't always understand God's ways. I know things don't always make sense. But believe, you are not the victim of fate. You are not the victim of circumstance. You are not the victim of some capricious God who can't make up his mind. When you don't understand, remember, life is not a tale told by an idiot. And yet he continues, hmm, what if it is told to an idiot? (laughs) Can we have enough gospel in our hearts to laugh at ourselves? When I don't understand, what if the problem isn't with God? What if the problem is with myself? What if I have to humble myself under his mighty hand and acknowledge that I am just too limited, I am just too finite, I'm just too human to always understand? And so the great unknowns become an invitation to trust our God, that even they are part of God's ways. Now, of course, that's a challenge to our pride, but dear ones, it is one of the keys, according to Ecclesiastes, it is one of the keys to leading a happy life. Takes us to two, hopefully, very practical and surprisingly happy takeaways from this text. We can't understand God's ways. Sometimes things don't make sense. What do we do? Trusting God, number one, today resign your position as general manager of the universe. I owe this line to Heather Kaiser. She's the executive director of Focus Ministries here in Knoxville. Incredible organization that seeks to bring hope and healing to incarcerated and newly released women. They do strategic programming in prisons. They have reentry programs outside of prison. They are doing incredible work to free women from generational cycles of addiction and incarceration that they might walk in the freedom that can be theirs in Christ. Incredible ministry. We're actually going to host their their graduation for for their uh, participants who've gone through their six-month program. They're going to be having a graduation ceremony for them next week here in our church. And friends, you can come. It's the first of our Come Serve With Us events. 
It's gonna be next Sunday from 1 till 3 p.m. in our watershed. You're gonna hear stories about amazing things that God has done in the lives of these women. And if you've ever been interested in volunteering in, in uh, prison ministry for women or re-entry ministry for, for women, this is a great place to start. And quick plug, if you can't come to this one, this is why you should though come to one of the Come Serve With Us events. Come and see about God, what God is doing in, in our community. It's incredible. You won't regret it. Well, back, back to the point. Heather Kaiser said this line, resign your position as general manager of the universe. When she came to share with our staff in our, our staff chapel, our, our devotional time this week. And she shared about how she used to feel this pressure. She used to feel this weight, this kind of suffocating presence of making sure that her ministry and her life all worked out perfectly. Until God gave her the invitation to resign. To resign from being general manager of the universe. General manager of her life. To instead trust God to put it all in his hands. Now friends, I don't know what it, how this works out for you. I think there are different reasons why some of us take on the role of general manager. Maybe you've made yourself general manager of your the universe and life, honestly, because you feel you have to. You don't particularly want the role, but it doesn't look like anybody else is gonna do it. And there are so many people in your life, your family, your spouse, these kids, moms, these kids who just need you endlessly. And if you're not the general manager, it doesn't look like anybody else is, is going to be. And so you kind of step into the place of feeling this weight. I think there are others, though. Examine your hearts. There are others who are general manager of the universe because they want to be because they like being in control. It feels good to be competent. You're glad to be the general manager of the universe and for everybody's sake, it's just as well. I have one staff member who has the humility and self-awareness to realize this about himself who said, I can't resign as general manager of the universe because I'm the CEO. But why, whatever, the reason, whatever it is that causes you to put this pressure upon yourself, that causes you to step into this role, here, here's the good news. You don't have to be general manager of the universe. You don't even have to be general manager of your own life. Why? Because God has that position locked down. God has that position Lockdown. He is the one who is in control. And I hope you experience this. I hope you would feel this as a kind of relief. Like the old hymn says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. As Jesus himself says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Freedom from the one who has to be in control. And friends, I gotta tell you how much good this truth has done my soul. I've got some great unknowns. And in my life, I think I've spent too much time trying to figure them out, asking, why did this thing happen? What should I do about it? How should I move forward from here? Asking questions that have no answers and yet asking them all the more. And as you do that, a kind of churnage and an anxiety and a kind of stress builds up. And there is great freedom in realizing, I don't need to know. 
I don't know why these things happened. I don't really know what to do about it. I don't know how we're going to move forward from here, but I'm not the general manager of the universe. Freedom, friends. Instead of getting so frustrated, instead of getting fearful, the Bible says it's wiser to trust. Will you go home this afternoon and write your resignation letter? You don't have to be GM of the universe or even your own life. If you'll do that, if you'll go and write this letter, I think we'll usher you into the the second surprisingly happy takeaway we get in this text, which is is simply, simply this. Resign from being general manager of the universe and instead enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. I'm not making this up. Look down at verse 15. Verse 15 where we read, and I... What, 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 what do I recommend in light of the fact that there's just lots of stuff I'm never going to understand? Well, I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. This is a, a perspective, if you've been with us throughout this series, that you're probably getting used to hearing from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the main, one of the central themes, that there is great genuine, meaningful joy to be found in the small things of life when we live the small things in God's hand. One commentator pointed out to me this week, how uh, notice how this theme, this perspective, it's actually strengthening as we work our way throughout the book. So back in chapter two, he said there was nothing better than to enjoy your life. Then in chapter five, he said he had, he had seen that it is good to enjoy your life. But here in chapter eight, he's, just not, he's not just commenting that there's nothing better or that it's good to enjoy your life. He is outright recommending that we all go and do it. I commend joy, he says. Give up trying to control the universe. Instead, enjoy your life. And again, I just wonder if you need to hear that today. If you need to hear that today, if you need to just release the stress and admit, we don't know what this afternoon's going to bring, let alone what tomorrow's going to bring. We have no idea when, certainly not why, the things in life happen to us. And so, instead of trying to be in control, we can put that down and enjoy what's in front of us now. Live here. Live in this moment. And enjoy what God has, has given you right now. Can we practice? Let's practice that just now. Let's not even talk about how we could do that when we go to lunch and spend this afternoon and go to see him. Let's practice enjoying what's right. Look around you right now. Can you enjoy your life for a moment? That we're here in this church worshiping Jesus. <laughs> you know, there, there are all sorts of messy, complicated, and frankly messed up things that happen in our nation, but here's one thing I'm not taking for granted. We're worshiping Jesus. There's no persecution. There's no retribution. This is a great day to be alive. You know, feel, feel with me the clothes on your back. Did you feel stressed knowing what you should wear to church this morning? Don't be stressed. You had options. We're blessed. We're blessed. In the second service, right before I got up to preach, I spilt half a cup of coffee all over my pants. Do you know what I thought? I thought, praise the Lord, I'm not wearing khakis. You know? 
He is GM of the universe and GM of my pants. Like, what a day to be alive, right? Incredible. Enjoy it. Or enjoy the person you're sitting beside. Do you know what? (laughs) You might have had a fight with them on the way to church. But I reckon they still love you. I reckon you love them as well. Enjoy the faces of all your friends. Don't you love coming to church and seeing the faces of your friends? The smile and the warmth of being together. And don't you love it? How, you know there's that one friend who's always here before you? Like no matter when you get here, they're always sitting there welcoming you in. And then you know the other friend, how it doesn't matter when you get here, they're always late. They're always after you, right? Ten minutes into the service, in they come. If that is you, welcome. God is delighted you are here. We are delighted you are here. It brings your friends great joy to see you coming in whenever you get here. Or look at the faces around you. Of, you, you know the faces, you recognize the face, but you don't know the name? You've maybe never even spoken to them. But whenever you're here, you see their face here. And it just, your heart good to see them worshiping in this way. Today's a great day. Go find out. Go find out their name. Or all the other things. The friendly faces who greet us. The kids who run around this place. The average coffee that you can spill in your crotch. (laughs) What a day to be alive. And I can enjoy these things. Do you know why? Because I'm not general manager of this church. Jesus is in control, and so we can enjoy things now. And, and, and the key really is Jesus. He's the one who's gone before us so that, friends, you know your deepest fears will always remain great unknowns. He has taken them for us. He has forgiven us full and free. He has has secured our eternity, one day he will take us home. And a God who loves us like that, we can trust him with life circumstances, even when it's hard, even when we don't understand. So today, give up being general manager. Start to enjoy your life. This sentence, it's not a lot of information, certainly not 120 zettabytes, but for my life, for your life, Friends, this is wise. Let's pray together. Father, we take an extended moment to stop and pray. Not just the way to end the sermon, but intentionally bringing all that we are into your presence. Being mindful, Lord, to to bring our hearts and our souls before you just now. And we confess, Lord, that there are some things in our lives that we don't understand. And Lord, for many of us this morning, those things are challenging, those things are painful, those things are are hard. And we take these things now, Lord, in our hearts and our minds, we, we take these things to you. We lay them before you. We cry that we don't understand. And so we pray that you would give us the grace 
instead to trust. We resign our position of being general manager of this universe. We decide instead to trust you with our lives. I pray that you would help us instead, Lord, to, to simply enjoy, enjoy what's before us even now. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, we know, we know his love. And we believe that that love makes you worthy of our trust. So help us, Father. We pray in his name. Amen.